Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Today, uh, I want to talk about wandering. In Denver, we tend to think of wandering as a good thing, right? Like, uh, odds are someone in this room right now has a not all who wander are lost tattoo somewhere on their body. Uh, the odds are good. I can tell the people, the ones that didn't chuckle at that joke, that you're the guy, aren't you? Like, it's you. Uh, at the very least, it should be on, like, a tire cover of someone's Jeep, I think, in this room right now, right? It's become, like, a cliche. Uh, Denver, man, we just love wandering. Like, I'm just a wanderer. Here I am out on the earth. Uh, that's not the case in biblical uh, language or in, like, the, the biblical text. Uh, wandering was seen as more of a curse than a blessing in Scripture, Cain killed Abel and then was cursed to wander. The Israelites disobeyed God and had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Even Jesus went out into the wilderness and wandered there only to be tested by Satan. Wandering is not seen as a positive thing in Scripture, yet for us it has like this weird allure, this weird pull of like freedom and self-expression and self-discovery. <clears throat> Jesus today actually tells us in our passage that he is willing to sacrifice much to chase after us when we wander. So the first question that we have to ask is, what's up with the sheep? Not just in general, but specifically in the Bible. What's up with sheep? Uh, the Bible is full of shepherd analogies. There are tons and tons of them. There's something, I think, that God built into like the way of the world, and they also sort of like hardwired it into sheep, that they might be the best representative of us. And there's something about the way that a shepherd cares for sheep that he built so that that would be the best like metaphor for him. It's kind of funny when you think about it, like we tend to think like, oh, God just like found sheep and he was like, oh, this is a good picture. But in reality, he actually made people and made sheep. I think in some ways he actually built sheep so that they might be such a good metaphor for us. The word shepherd actually is used over a hundred times in scripture. You can find it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Psalm 23, which I think after John 3.16 is probably the most memorized passage of scripture, begins with the Lord is my shepherd. The greatest king of Israel and author of that passage was actually David, who was a former shepherd. Jesus even refers to himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And then this is what he says in our passage today. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine who never went astray. I spent a lot of time this past week researching sheep, so I probably know more than most of all of you guys, actually. I'm, you know, halfway to being a shepherd, except for one of you in this room right now who uh, showed sheep at the Denver Rodeo just as a wee child. I'll let you all play like 20 questions to figure it out who it is. Some of you already know, I think. Uh, that person might know more, but after that, I am number two for sure. I know a lot about sheep. Uh, I found out this week that sheep can get cast. And what it means to be a cast sheep means that you sort of like the sheep gets on its back for some reason or like laying over and uh, then they struggle to get back up. It becomes very difficult for them to get back up. They struggle so much that blood actually starts to drain from their legs and then all of a sudden their legs get weaker and it's impossible for them to get back up. It's like me on the couch on like Sunday afternoon basically, right? Like you sit there for long enough, all of a sudden your legs don't work. Uh, and your back hurts, and so you just decide to stay on the couch, right? What happens with sheep, and hopefully not with me, is that they become distressed, and then their stomach acids start to build up, and if you don't find them in like 24 hours, there's a very good chance that they could actually die just from falling over. 
This was especially common, or is especially common among like pregnant ewes. So basically they would be, you know, great with child and then wandering in the wilderness, they would fall over and become cast and unable to get back up. So you can see why the shepherd would want to hurry to remedy this, right? When Jesus says this, he says, what do you think? What would you do in this situation? And the implied answer there is that every sane person who's ever been around sheep would go off and look for this one lost sheep. You can see why the shepherd would want to hurry. You can also see here why wandering is not a blessing, right? This sheep is not in a good place. The sheep that Jesus has to run, run after. Jesus isn't just giving us some good, like, agrarian advice here. I don't even know if that's the right word for sheep, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Surely it is more than that. Jesus isn't really talking about sheep. He is talking about little ones. It says this in verse 14. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Now, just a couple of verses prior, if you were here last week, he started talking about having the faith of a child. And he used a child as a little one, as an example uh, of people who follow him. So here he's not talking about sheep. He's actually talking about people who are followers of Jesus. It's interesting to note that he doesn't seem to be talking here about people who aren't his followers yet, but people who have been his followers and have wandered away. Now, if you have some experience with the Bible, this might be kind of confusing because Jesus actually uses this exact same metaphor, but in a different context in Luke 15. You might be more familiar with that passage, actually. It says this, uh, Luke 15, verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, I hope this doesn't cause you some like real concern that Jesus would use the same metaphor twice. Uh, that seems like a fairly you know common thing to do. It seems like this was a relatable metaphor for the people that Jesus was talking to. Uh, and it makes it easy to get these two passages confused and, and put together. But I think the real like shift between the two is that this passage is actually in the middle of a bunch of parables about things that are lost like the lost coin, like uh, the things that like people would uh, have that were far away from God that God would then go to find. So he's talking about sinners here. He's not talking about people that are following Jesus. He's talking about people that have yet to come to know Jesus, and Jesus actually goes after them. But in our passage today, there is a slight different or slightly different focus, right? This passage says, the one that went astray. That implies that this sheep was previously the shepherd's. Once in the fold of God, combine that with the idea of like the little ones that he was using before, and it's easy to see that the situation that he's describing here is someone who is following Jesus and then goes astray. So we have to ask the question, why do sheep go astray? So we'll ask our resident sheep expert, me, why do sheep go astray? And uh, the simple answer is for greener pastures. I think sheep actually invented that term. I'm not 100% sure about that, but it makes a lot of sense, right? Sheep are always on the hunt for the next meal, right? They're just munching and munching and eating all the time. Uh, they don't really wander off when all of their needs are met, when they're comfortable, when they're satisfied, when everything is right. They're not as likely to wander off. Sheep really wander off for two reasons. 
One is that it's not great where they are. Could be bugs, could be uh, some wolves, could be whatever it is. Two is the idea that it looks better somewhere else. This is why sheep will wander off into the wilderness. It's a little bit crazy, right, when you think about it. Because sheep are utterly helpless without shepherds. They need shepherds to survive. Shepherds do so much to keep sheep alive. And if the sheep has a good shepherd, it's crazy to think that that sheep would then just like wander off, right? Because it can't survive by itself. A sheep could literally fall over its back, on its back, get caught in a thorn bush, or be attacked by wild animals, and without a shepherd, it would just be completely and utterly helpless. I found this out, I didn't realize this, that a sheep just left to itself, so let's just say it has no shepherd, but nothing bad happens to it, eventually its coat would get so big and get packed down with mud and other stuff, and just get covered up like all over the sheep, that it becomes so heavy that this sheep cannot even walk anymore. A sheep will just die left to its own devices. So why in the world would a sheep that is in a good pasture under a good shepherd feel the need to wander off? It's crazy for this sheep to think to itself, you know what, I should be in charge. I'm the captain now. I'll find my own food. I'll take care of myself. I'm in charge. It's a good thing that we never do that, right? Right? Does anyone else ever struggle with this, like, greener pastures disorder? Here's what I was thinking of as I was processing this. You could probably take this in, like, a million different directions. Here are the three greener pastures that I struggle with. I find myself longing for them, even though I am in a good pasture with a good shepherd. First is the green pasture of cultural acceptance. I find myself desiring to fit in with everyone else. I find myself desiring to fit in with cultural ideas about life and sex and wealth and security and politics and power and all of those things can be so appealing to me. It struck me this week as I was thinking about this, the way that like everyone's trying to get your attention. Like nobody can just sort of like have like a neutral ad or like social media video or something like that. Like everybody's trying to get you to think something or feel something or, or move in a certain direction or buy something. And every single bit of media that we consume is pulling us ever slightly and slowly in some direction, right? Like, this is the green pasture that we kind of stumble into. That one where we see, like, a little bit of green grass over here, and we take a step, and we just munch a little bit here, munch a little bit there, and then all of a sudden look up, and all of a sudden the rest of the sheep are completely out of sight. We've lost them completely. It would be so nice to not have, like, disagreements with anyone or feel like I'm, like, opposed to anyone, like there's a gap between me and, like, my neighbors. It would be so nice to not have any conflicts in our mind, to simply be able to act at any moment, like, in whatever seems right to you. It would be so nice to look a little bit more like everyone else and not feel like an outsider. But we know that this green pasture is not real, right? It doesn't really exist. You can't please everyone. No one can fit into every sort of cultural zeitgeist. It's constantly changing. This comes down to like one of those like tombstone kind of questions, I think. You know, like what do you want on your tombstone? Do I really want it to say like, uh, here lies Josh, most people liked him. Here lies Josh, he was mostly on trend sometimes. Here lies Josh, he offended very few people. Wouldn't it be better if it said, here lies Josh, he served his king 
and Savior well and faithfully. Here lies Josh. He was loved greatly by the God of the universe. Here lies Josh. He had a good shepherd, and he knew his name. The second green pasture I find myself wandering towards is the green pasture of comfort here, or comfort. When I say comfort, I don't mean like uh, comfort in like, you know, searching for like the most comfortable shoes or a really nice chair or something like that, but more like the antithesis of discomfort. We're constantly seeking comfort as the opposite of discomfort. We hate being in uncomfortable situations. We want to find ways to make ourselves comfortable all the time. Uh, We actually had one of our college interns, I think, said it perfect. I don't like being uncomfy. Uncomfy, right? That's just kind of the perfect word. You'd rather be comfy, you know, like in just regular life. Being a part of the family of God, following Jesus, causes discomfort. It's going to be uncomfortable uh, to live in real community. It's going to be messy and weird. It's going to be strange. It's going to play with your emotions, and there's going to be temptations at times, because I know that I have had them, to just sort of like walk away from it all. Like, maybe if I could find a different group of people, a different church, maybe not even a church at all, if I can just, like, get away from these people, then I'll be much more satisfied. If I can avoid, like, these uncomfy kind of situations, then I'll actually be more comfortable in life, and then I'll be able to live more fully as me. I'll be able to be more authentic to myself. Or there's even this temptation. Surely, I I think living in 2023, it's safe to say that many of us in this room have had the temptation to walk away from the church entirely. It's messed up. It's weird. There's all kind of like weird power and authority struggles. There's all kind of ways that people are like missing the mark. It's very easy to look around at other Christians and be like, if this is the church, then I'm not sure that this is for me. The reality is that we know that this greener pasture is not perfect either. And it's not real. If you want a church of perfect people, you'll end up being alone and you won't be in a church. You'll never grow as a person or accomplish anything for the kingdom without the church as messy and as weird as it is. You'll find yourself constantly searching for this greener pasture, going from one pasture to the next. The final green pasture that I find myself hunting for is the green pasture of self. This is the true heart of all green pastures. You could call it sin. Uh, You could call it self-indulgence. But basically, it's that choice to walk away from God and indulge in something that is not his good plan for you. To try and replace the God of the universe with pleasing yourself. It could easily be called the green pasture of material comfort or the green pasture of satisfaction. It embodies the very idea of greener pastures. It tells you that there is something better over there, something on the other side of the fence, that if you could just get to that, then you would be happy and you would be satisfied and you would be full tells you that if you can just take your life into your own hands and go out there, that surely you can find it. This pastor says that things will make you happy, that experiences will never fail to give you joy. It tells you that life is all about you. It tells you that if you can just make that one change, that one shift, if you can just get away from these people or get closer to these things, if you can go to this city, if you can live in this place, then finally you'll be satisfied. This one is possibly the most insidious of all of the green pastures because it's crazy how simple of an idea it is. Like, you can communicate it to someone else and be like, hey, the grass is not always greener. It's not going to be better over there. And yet still, the very next day, the very same day, we can find ourselves hunting after this greener pasture. 
This is not the life that Jesus calls us to. We love self-indulgence. Jesus teaches a gospel of self-denial. We cherish self-care. Jesus praises the care of those around us. We love it when people sacrifice for their goals and achieve something great. Jesus modeled for us and calls us to sacrifice for the kingdom of God above all else. It's the only thing that would satisfy. And yet still we chase after these greener pastures. We all do it. Do you do it? I do it. But there is good news. Isaiah said it this way, hundreds of years before Jesus, he was paving the way for Jesus to come. He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, speaking of Jesus, the iniquity of us all. See, this process of the good shepherd leaving the 99 to rescue the one sheep that goes astray, it looks like this, right? We go astray. God sends his son to die on the cross for our waywardness. We get to enjoy being in the fold of God forever. And even though we still go astray, even though we as followers of Jesus wander constantly over and over again, over and over again, he comes looking for us. Over and over again, he brings us back to what is good, what is healthy, and what is life-giving. Over and over again, he lovingly carries us home. It might be difficult to wrap your mind around this image, this picture that Jesus is painting. But the image is clear here that you might be this sheep right now. That odds are there are many of us in this room who are feeling like we're in this, this period, this place of wandering away. Like, was that not the most like, reassuring and comforting thing that we just sang together? Because of the reckless love of God, he leaves the 99 and he comes to rescue us. What's weird is you don't sing that song just when you start following Jesus. You sing it over and over again. Its meaning takes on, or its, its theme takes on new meaning, new nuance every time because we constantly find ourselves wandering away. You may be the sheep right now, lost, away from everything away from everyone, maybe a little beat up, maybe a little confused, maybe unsure if you can make it back on your own. You're probably longing for the good pastures that you used to have but have no idea or capacity how to get there. You're looking back on a time when it was sweet to be with Jesus, when it was easy, when it made sense, when you were faced with no internal struggle and you're dying to get back there and it's cold and it's stormy and it's scary and it's lonely. And that's exactly when the shepherd shows up. It's when he arrives. He stoops down low. He dresses your wounds. He helps you up back to your feet. He picks you up and places you on his shoulders and carries you back to the fold. invitation that Jesus offers to us, this offer of rescue and redemption, being brought back in. It's a permanent invitation. He does it for you today. You are not too far gone. You are not alone. You are not left outside the fold of God. He is ready, willing, and able to bring you back. Thanks for listening. 
We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.